We are very pleased and privileged to be able to be talking about the Niners and the Miami Dolphins matchup with someone that you might not think first blush would know much about the Miami Dolphins. That's John Jastrzemski. You may hear him from the New York, New York podcast uh, on The Ringer. You can also see him on SNY. He covers New York sports, obviously. But I know, JJ, from listening to you when you were on WFAN, that you are a huge Miami Dolphin fan. You are very right. Um, it's good to be back aboard. I remember our conversation a couple of years ago before the Dolphin and the 49er game. And yeah, I'm in South Florida right now as we speak. Uh, I saw the Dolphins put up a 30-burger on the Houston Texans, who are probably the worst team in the NFL. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, and I'm stoked for this game. I think it's so juicy. It's so fascinating on so many different fronts, so many different storylines. So it's good to be on. What's happening, Robbie? Oh, thank you, JJ. I am. Uh, I'm a little nervous. Not gonna lie. Like this game, I have been telling people all week that the media is gonna make more of this game than it actually matters for the 49ers because it's an AFC game. But now you've got Raheem Mostert talking trash. I feel like this is gonna feel like a playoff game on Sunday. Oh, there's no doubt. And it's funny. The feeling is mutual as far as being scared going into this matchup because. Um, the Niner defense is just playing out of their freaking minds. That Niner pass rush is absolutely ferocious. And what you have are these two great units, right? You have the Dolphin offense with all their speed and Tua is playing like an MVP and Mike McDaniel drawing up the proper plays, all the connections to the 49ers. But without Teron Armstead, I'm very nervous to see how that Dolphin offensive line is going to hold up in this game. So yeah, you're nervous. I'm nervous. It's definitely going to be like a playoff game. It should be the Sunday night game. To me, it's the best game of Sunday slate. I don't think there's any doubt. I know we're biased, but find me a game that's more juicy than the Dolphins and the Niners this week. I don't think you can. It's certainly juicier than Cowboys and Colts, which is on Sunday night. Oh, that's terrible. I don't know what NBC is thinking there. And I get it. The Cowboys, they get ratings. That's all well and good. You're telling me the Dolphin Niner game should be buried in the four o'clock window on Fox going up again. And listen, Kansas City and Cincinnati is a great game. I can't wait to watch that, too. But the Dolphins and the Niners should have had some standalone power. Just food for thought. I totally agree with you. As I was growing up, the old adage was great defense beats great offense. Do you think that still applies in 2022? It's a great question. Um, it can at times, but with the rules being the way that they are, uh, with just the sport being the way that it is, it's really tough to slow down the high-powered offense. But the way you do it, it's pretty simple. It's at the line of scrimmage. Uh, the Niners, and, and this goes for any team, I don't care how good your corners are, good luck trying to keep up with Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle for four quarters. It's just, it's, it's, it's not fun there. <laughs> I, I, they're close to unguardable. But how, how do they become guardable? by giving the quarterback absolutely no time to throw. That's what, if San Francisco is going to win this game, that to me is going to be the difference. Bosa and company are going to overwhelm Tua. The Dolphin offense is going to be all out of sorts, all out of rhythm. That to me is how San Francisco wins. But I'm telling you, the Miami defense, which was much maligned early in the year, it's playing some of its best football. With Bradley Chubb there, they're a little more cohesive in the secondary. The fact that they can get after the passer now, I think this is going to be a lower-scoring game. Like, I saw that total. I think it was like at 46.5 or 47. I think this game has underwritten all over it. So I just checked it before we started. It's at 46 now, which I was stunned. I thought it would be way higher. But 46, that's like a 
that's a low score. Niners are favored by four. What's that? 25, 21. Yeah. I think it's a low scoring game though. All things considered because of the Niner pass rush, the Armstead injury. And I know the Niners have a whole lot of firepower, but I'm actually somewhat encouraged by what I've seen from the Miami defense. And the other thing is I watched your team last Sunday. You guys left a whole lot of points on the board against the New Orleans Saints. And it felt like New Orleans. Now, listen, I'm watching four games, so you guys are one of four. It felt like New Orleans had the ball in San Francisco territory the entire game and just couldn't do anything with it. Is that fair to say? Uh, they had a lot of short fields, and they got within the five-yard line twice and got zero points because they turned it over twice in that scenario. And that's what bad teams do, and that's what good defenses do. So, two has been the topic for the Dolphins. Um, is it – are they succeeding because Mike McDaniel's really good at his job and his receivers are really fast, or do you think that you got something there with Tua? I think it's all of the above. The answer is all of the above. Mike McDaniel's really creative. The Dolphin receivers are really good. But let me throw this at you. The Dolphins played three games without Tua. The Cincinnati game, I'm counting the second half he didn't play. The Jet game, he didn't play. The Minnesota Viking game, he didn't play. What is the Dolphin record in games that Tua does not finish this year? Uh, 0-3. They're 0-3. So anytime I hear the narratives out there, Rob, about, oh, Tua just has so much to work with, you know, they're carrying him, there is a swag and an it factor that he's bringing to the position. Uh, he's very elusive in the pocket. He's insanely accurate. He's a leader. I think the team clearly rallies around him, and he's playing great football. Look. He is not going to throw the prettiest of passes. Like, if you have him throwing the ball like Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, you're not going to get that. But what you're seeing Tua do is basically what he was able to do in college. He's making plays. He's scoring touchdowns. He's incredibly efficient. And the team that he's leading is winning a whole lot of games. Tell me about the defense, because I think that's what every Niner fan is saying. Yeah, Dolphins offense is great. But the Jets put up 40 on these guys. We should be okay. You told me earlier they're starting to round into form a little bit. Well, they are. And to me, the biggest reason they're rounding into form is because Bradley Chubb has come to the team. So the 40 points they scored, the Jets scored. Remember, Bradley Chubb was not there. You know who else didn't play in that game? Xavier Howard. Xavier Howard, they can't lose that guy. Because if you take him out of the secondary, the Dolphins' secondary just becomes very, very feeble. And it's very, very weak. So they're doing a good job now of getting after the quarterback. They've done a very good job of stopping a run. Aside from the Jet game, they've really stopped the run pretty well all year. I don't think it's a top five defense, but it's not a bottom five defense. It's middle of the pack, but it's trending in the right direction. I need to see them feast like they did. Now, the Texans are not the Niners. I'm well aware of that. But the turnovers, that's what I loved to see last week. They were getting after the quarterback. You know, they were forcing some mistakes. And that's my hope for Sunday. And the path to me for Miami going to win in this game is Phillips and, and Chubb getting after the quarterback and forcing Garoppolo into a couple of interceptions. Do you look at this game as a litmus test for your offense? Because there's a lot of Niner fans saying, oh, great. They put up 30 against Cleveland and Houston and Chicago. Big deal. Let's see them go up against a stout defense like the Niners and see if they can put up 30. No question. Listen, I think the next three games, not just this San Francisco game, but the next three for Miami, they're going to tell you a lot more about them. Look, I think they're a playoff team. I do. I think they'll be playing in January. They're 8-3 right now. 
they're going to find their way to 10 wins. Uh, that would be if they played poorly, quite frankly, down the stretch. They're going to get to 10. But the idea of them being a Super Bowl caliber team, this is a game where you're going to learn a lot more about your team. Now, I, I, I like Toronto Armstead playing in this game. I can't stress this enough. <laughs> He's that important. He's that good on the offensive line. You don't want to lose your best offensive lineman when you're matching up with San Francisco. Like, it's just – it's not a good thing for the Miami Dolphins. So that bothers me going into this game. Um, but he is going to be back at some point. So it's not like a season-ending injury. But I think by the time the Dolphins play your Niners, they play the Chargers in L.A. next week, that's a game I expect them to win. Um, and, and then they play Buffalo at Buffalo. I think I'm going to have a much better idea for are the Dolphins playoff caliber or the Dolphins championship caliber. I have the answer, I think, to that question. You got four out of your last six on the road, including Buffalo, and you got to go to New England in January. That's not an easy end of your schedule here. No, it's not. But listen, you want to be a playoff team, you got to win games in those type of conditions. That's true. That's what it boils down to. And look, New England, who knows what they'll what their thought process and psyche will be second to last game of the year. Like, are they still playing for something? Are they eliminated? Yeah, it's a tricky game, but the Dolphins. Dolphins, I think, have won like five out of their last six against the Patriots. So they've had a lot of success against New England. That Jet game, final game of the year, we'll see what it means. But, yeah, the schedule, listen, they, they're going up in weight class now over these next six games. There's no question. I think a lot of Niners fans, by the way, are looking at this game as a litmus test for their defense as well. They're saying, like, look, we're beating up on the NFC West, but the last time the Niners played a great offense, they got stomped by the Chiefs earlier in the year. So there's a lot of Niners fans looking at it the opposite way. Um, where do you come down on the McDaniel Shanahan thing? Do you think one guy has an advantage over the other? Or do you think it's kind of a wash? Yeah, that's a great question. I always lean towards the master having the advantage over the protege just because of the experience. But when you throw in all the ties that the Dolphins have with the San Francisco 49ers, I mean, both running backs from San Francisco, the third wide receiver is from San Francisco. The wide receivers coach is from San Francisco. <laughs> the head coach is from, it's like San Francisco South, for goodness sakes, or Southeast. I mean, my goodness. So I, I don't know what that provides, quite frankly. Um, and, and it's one game. So you don't want to, like, get nuts that, oh, like, one game is going to be the determining factor on, you know, Mike McDaniel, Kyle Shanahan, who knows more, who has the leg up on more. I think they're both really good coaches. I think the Dolphins are very lucky to have McDaniel. I think the Niners should be very fortunate that they have Kyle Shanahan. So I lean Shanahan just because of the experience. But, I mean, Rob, that's a great unknown, dude. Who knows? Yeah, you mentioned it. It's the 49ers versus the Florida Niners. Um, Shanahan, for what it's worth, has been very good against his former assistant coaches in his career. He owns Sean McVay, and he owns Matt LaFleur also. Uh, not that that's going to hold up in this game, just a, a thought I had. Um, last question for you, and this is a non-football question, but I have to ask because there's a lot of San Francisco Giant fans listening to this who are hoping and praying that the New York Yankees let Aaron Judge go and he signs in San Francisco. So nobody knows better than you, JJ. Is Judge going to be a Giant? Oh, my goodness, I hope not. <laughs> I can't imagine, and I understand the Giants got deep pockets and they're looking for a star. And, you know, Aaron Judge is the Northern California kid. Bring him home. Make him the next face of the franchise. The Yankees can't lose Aaron Judge. They're the Yankees. 
They have to act like the Yankees. They have to keep their own guy. Um, to me, they have to keep Aaron Judge. It, it may be a contract that looks awful seven years from now or eight years from now, but he's going to make the team so much money. They can market the 62 home runs. They can market those 99 jerseys. I think the Yankees will sweat it out the next few weeks. I think Judge is back in pinstripes. I do. I oh. put it at like 75-25. Wow, that heavy. That's surprising. I, the Yankees can't lose them. Whoa, whoa. Let me ask you this, Rob. If they don't resign Aaron Judge, then what are the Yankees doing? I mean, how are the Yankees going to sell themselves on building a championship caliber team when Aaron Judge walk? They can't do that. They're going to have to go, I don't know, Trey Turner and a couple other pieces in free agency if they're going to let Judge go. Yeah, and uh, that's a tough sell. Even though Trey Turner is a fabulous player. Fabulous, fabulous player. That's a tough sell. Very tough sell. Is Judge going to get 40 mil a year? Yeah, I'm gonna say he does. Oh I'm gonna say forty. I'm gonna say forty mil a year. I do not think he gets the years. I think he's gonna get seven or eight years. That's a lot, though. He's already thirty. Well, listen, I feel better about seven or eight than I do ten. Well, yeah. Well, you know this, Rob. Listen, the contract is not gonna age well. No matter who ends up signing them, this is not a contract that six years from now is probably gonna look good. But I don't understand why teams don't say, "Hey, Aaron, how about we do." Four years, 50 mil a year, right? And yeah, it's expensive, but you're paying for the flexibility down the road. Yeah, I think the players don't like that though, Rob, because yeah, they get the money up front. They want that guaranteed loot over a longer period of time. Because let's say Aaron Judge signs that sort of contract. Body starts breaking down at the end of his third year. He's probably not getting that again. That, that to me is the thought process from a player's standpoint. Yeah, man, he he'd have a rough time living off that last two hundred million dollar or uh, five hundred million dollar deal, whatever it would be. But all right, I could talk to you about baseball all night, but I won't do that. Dj, thank you very much again. You can hear him on the Ringer New York New York podcast three days a week. He talks to Daniel Judge on Tuesdays as well. Thanks, Jj. Uh, and unfortunately, I like the Niners in this game. I think it's going to be a fun one. Uh, 24-20 San Francisco. Unfortunately, wow. I hope I'm. I hope I'm wrong. Well, there you just made a lot of you. You ticked people off with the judge thing, but you ended it on a good note. Thanks, Jinjay. I got to be fair and balanced. Thanks, Avi. Later, buddy. Yeah.